0: Um, sends Titus to reach out to the Corinthians, and Titus comes back, and then Paul writes the second letter. And so in Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse 13 to 16, "Therefore we have been comforted in your comfort, and we rejoice exceedingly more. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you I'm not ashamed but as we spoke all things to you in truth even so our boasting to Titus was found true and his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all how with fear and trembling you received him therefore I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything so it tells us Paul basically sent Titus out and said look these corinthians won't let you down they love jesus okay and so titus comes back and shares and gives the testimony that yes you're right paul these they you know you we rebuke them in that first letter but they responded and he's clarifying things and it's neat to see how the church has turned around okay and paul you could see it because i shared earlier paul loves this church And his love was not for vain. Because they came back. They were earnest. But also here. And even how they received Titus. With fear and trembling. There was humility. There was a sensitivity of spirit. There wasn't saying. You can come in casual. It wasn't casual. It wasn't inconsequential. It was significant. It was something. Their hearts were stirred. And that's a challenge for us. Is when we hear messages here. And we've heard some excellent messages is do we receive the message with fear and trembling? When we have visitors here, and people came and visit us, do we receive them with fear and trembling? Is there a humility and sensitivity in our spirit, grateful to realize that God is orchestrating everything? He's a good, good father. He's perfect in all his ways. In all his ways to us, that's what we sang. He is orchestrating everything. We can look at the world, and we can see what's going on and think, this is crazy. This is nuts. What's going on? What's happening? And the question you can ask is, God, are you really there? He's really there. I want you to get that. He's really there. Okay? And so, and he's working. He worked in the Corinthian church. He changed their heart. Okay? Okay, and... They came back. And the neat thing is. When you see the change that happens. They're able to bless Titus. And then Titus is able to come back. And bless Paul. That's the relationship. That's a Christ like relationship. Because it changes you. Now let's move on to. 2nd Corinthians chapter 8. So. Paul then says. Okay now that I've heard this. Here I'm going to send you. Some more information. Some more things I'm going to ask you to do. So he's received what Titus has told them. Okay. They've repented. They're earnest. They're sensitive. And he says, okay. Now, in this whole chapter, he's going to talk about, talk about gifts that should be brought to the church. Gifts that should come from the heart. Gifts that should be measured proportionately. And gifts that should be handled honestly. So let's look at First, uh, 2 Corinthians 8 Verses 1 to 5. Moreover, brethren, we have made known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. That in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing... No, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Wow. Look at this church. And they use the word deep poverty, we would use the word dirt poor. Poor, they had nothing. Okay, and they decided. You know, let's go some back, background here. The whole thing that Paul's talking about is there's a need, and he's going to talk about the idea of giving. This chapter is for the need of the poor, and the need of the poor in Jerusalem. So, if you look, go back to Acts, and you realize on the day that Peter was preaching, three thousand came to faith. And within a few days, it went up to 5,000. A lot of those people stayed in Jerusalem. And they were cut off from their families. They didn't have income. There would not be people who would patronize them. And they kind of stayed in that area. Then a famine comes to the land, and they don't have much. So they're poor. Okay, even in Acts um, 15, you know, there's a council. And they tell, okay, Paul, you and Barnabas are going to, preach to the gentiles and we're going to preach the the jews but hey we understand they don't have to be circumcised but don't forget about the poor okay that's what the leaders of the church said don't forget about the poor and paul is telling them we're not to forget about those who are poor in jerusalem and that's the admonishment for us we are not to forget about the poor Okay. And so when we look at where things are in terms of the need, when we look at those of poverty, we all think, "Oh, we're the poor." We've already covered this many times here. That ain't so. That ain't so. We know where our food. We know we have comfort of having our food. We're talking about poor who don't know what their food is. They don't know what they're going to have the next day. And particularly talking about the poor who are believers. And so the challenge for us is those Christians who've come to Christ, like the Pakistani Christians who come to Christ who are Basically, like the untouchables in India, they're basically cast off. They're, they're essentially indentured servants, bricklayers, and they are the poor. The poor who come to Christ in Nigeria, in Sudan, South Sudan, in any of the 1040 window, they don't get the blessings of the government. government. The poor, those in China, if you c- come to Christ, you're not going to be part of the communist party. You're not going to be part of the in-crowd you're not going to have access to resources. You're not going to even have access to health care. They're going to take you and imprison you. They're doing it with the Ouija's, and they're also doing it with the Christians. They're harvesting them for their organs. We have no idea what they're doing and what's happening. And some of that's actually making its way here on the black market. I'm letting you know that there's poor Christians right now in need, and that's what Paul is addressing here. And the, the Macedonian church... Even though they were poor, they gave. And they didn't give begrudgingly. They gave generously. And it's not like Paul had to ask him. He goes, no, 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 you can't afford it. You can't afford it. And they go, please. They pled with him. Begged him is the word translated. The true definition is they begged him. Please let us help. And so the question for us is, do we have that gratitude for what Christ did with us that we go, please let us help. And so he talks about the grace of God. So the Macedonian church is able to do it, not because of their own strength, not in their own understanding, but God's grace. God gave them an ability to do it. Adrian Rogers said this. He said... Grace is both a desire and the ability to do the will of God. The grace is a desire and ability. So it's definitely a heart change, but it's always action motivated. It's always action motivated. Um, Okay. I want to understand a little bit more about... What this thing in giving, it's the heart attitude. Um, so in giving, the real issue isn't giving money, it's giving ourselves to the Lord. If we really give ourselves to the Lord, then the right kind of material giving will naturally flow. Uh, there's an illustration, you may have already heard this. The offering plate is passed around, and a little girl takes the offering plate, puts it on the ground, and then steps in it. They go, what are you doing? It says we're told to give ourselves to God. Okay? And the idea of giving yourself to God. So the attitude is the heart attitude. Let me read this quote from R. Kent Hughes. Grace is first rooted in our response to God. It's all so basic. When we know that our lives are not our own, neither will we think that our possessions are our own. It's easy to turn apart when we've already given the whole. There is an implicit lesson here. It won't do any good to give our possession to God unless we have given ourselves. In fact, such giving will do us harm. The reasons are apparent. We'll be tempted to imagine that giving of our substance is enough, that somehow this will make God pleased with us. External giving builds religious pride. Giving things instead of ourselves can easily become our religion so that we never turn to Christ for salvation. It must be said that if you have not given your life to Christ, don't give your money. God doesn't need your money. Even more, he doesn't want you to delude yourself. This story about the Macedonians is told by Paul about believers for believers to instruct true believers no one else this giving is not meant for the unsaved there is no way to grow to spiritual maturity without committing your finances to the lord jesus can have our money have our money, money. Have our hearts but he cannot have our hearts without our money he cannot in this, I would not be true to God's word or to you if I did not say that some of you may have reached sticking spots in your spiritual growth because you have not begun to give as the scriptures and conscience are directing you. Wow. Strong stuff. R. Ken Hughes wrote excellent book, Disciplines of a Godly Man. Good study. I encourage you to read. But the principle here is it's all about the heart attitude. And we have to have the right motivation. I've shared with you when I went overseas to Tanzania, I thought it's easier just to give money. I mean, you need more money. Let me just send you money instead of coming. He said, no, you have to come. When you have to come, you're inconvenienced. When you have to come, you show you love them. They need to know that more than the money. Not to say they didn't need the money, but they need that even more. So let's move on to the next verses, 6 to 8. So we urge Titus that as he had begun... So he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. So, wow. Wow. What's he saying? Why is he saying this? Look what Paul's saying. He's saying he abounded everything. So the talk about the faith is a grace that God offers us. Speech, knowledge, diligence, love. Giving is also a grace. Giving is also a grace. So there is... A gift of giving, those who have the gift of giving, we can talk about spiritual gifts like in 1 Corinthians. But there's also the grace that God gives us, just as it gives us knowledge and insight. And giving reflects that. It's a heart attitude. It's giving of ourselves, it's giving of everything. And when you're giving, they use money example where your treasure is, is where your heart is also, right? In Matthew 6 21. And 1 John three seventeen to 18, Whoever has this world's goods and see his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So when we see or hear about the needs of others, most of us, you hear about the news about the poor, and you go, oh, what can I do? I don't know what to do, where can I go? And I'm not saying there's not challenges and making sure the money gets to the right people. I get that. I'm talking about our heart attitude. I'm talking about what's driving you. Is it like, I can't help, so I'm not going to worry about it? It's beyond my help, so I don't have to think about it? Or, I don't know what I need to do. There's a need here. God, how do you want me to bless them? Please give me wisdom that comes from above. Give me knowledge. Let me talk to somebody else and ask for help. What do I need to do? What's the burden? And we've talked about that when we've been needs. But that's the heart attitude that he's asking. And it's not just ah, casual. It's earnest. It's begging. Begging to help. Who else has that help? When people ask for help, oh, yeah, please let me help you. No, 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 you don't. Let me do it. Let me do it. That's what the Macedonian church had. That's the heart that Christ wants of us. And so then he comes down to the core, probably the best or most important verse in the whole chapter. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. That through his poverty might become rich. That you. So that reminds me of Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8 of what he did, how he humbled himself. He is rich, he's in heaven, he's with God. It's perfect, in perfect harmony. And he decides to become a baby and become a man. And he was not a very rich man, he may not have been completely dirt poor. Um, But he didn't have a place to stay, didn't have a lot, walked around wherever he went, certainly wasn't rich. But the poverty they're talking about is everything that he gave poor in everything that he had. He had the command of all the angels. He's telling Pilate, I can call a legion of angels like that, okay, in a moment. He chose to become poor so that we would have access, so that we would have... What's the richness that we get? We get to, get to become children of God, not just created beings. Adam wasn't the children of God in the same way that we get to be. The Spirit within us, because of what Jesus did, we now have the Holy Spirit within us that changes us, and we are transformed. We have rich richness. So... How does Jesus poverty his poorness being poor benefit us? 1. It shows us the heart-giving part of God, heart of God. 2. It shows us the relative importance of material things. Thirdly, it makes Jesus open and accessible to all. Fourth, it rebukes the pride that might refuse to come to a poor Savior. You know, we see pictures of Jesus and they all make nice paintings like he's on earth and he has this gorgeous flowing brown locks and often blue-eyed, which is probably not what he looked like. I've seen pictures, probably curly-haired, brown-eyed, really unassuming features. You know, they had to, Judas had to come up and kiss him. They couldn't even recognize him. He didn't have any distinguishing features about him that made him think, ooh, wow, wasn't anybody special by the ways of the world it would make sense God judges the heart not the outside he wasn't concerned about the outside he was concerned about the heart attitude okay what else does it probably do it gives others the privilege of giving to Jesus and lastly it fulfilled the heart and will and plan of God making our salvation possible Making our salvation possible. So some of those who are into prosperity gospels that we get to become rich, like materially rich. That's not what it's talking about. That's a lie. Anybody tells you that and quotes that in that the context is corrupting scripture. If that's true and Paul believed that, that was true, then why would he say, I'm hungry and starving? Why wouldn't he have the richness of Christ on that? If Christ didn't he had apprehended, he understood that, he'd be materially rich. He wasn't. Pardon me. He wasn't. Okay? What it's talking about is the richness of heaven, of eternal. His focus, God's focus is always on the eternal. We get wrapped up in the temporal because we try to manipulate scripture or use it for our own personal well-being don't believe it it's really about the eternal benefit that it makes for us and that's what he's talking about and so in verses 10 to 12 and in this I give advice it's to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were designed to do a year ago but now you also must complete the doing of it that as there was a readiness to desire it so there also may be a completion out of what you have for if there is a a first a willing mind it is accepted according to what it's done not according to what he does not have so wow what he's talking about this is an important thing he's saying you may have the attitude to do it but you have to put that disposition into action you have to actually complete the begin the thing you began. So Barclay says, the devil will let you resolve as much as you like. The more the better. Just as long as you never carry it out. The tragedy of a life so often is not that we have no high impulses, that we fail to turn them into actions. So you can have say all the things you want. You can boast about what you're going to do. But if you don't actually put it into practice, then you don't really believe it. And so he's imploring the Corinthians. He said, you guys gave so much before. At the first time when we came through, you were the first to give. We talked about that. And now he's coming through again. They went through a difficult time. They've come around and come out through the other end. he says, okay, you began strong. Finished strong. complete it. The same generous spirit you had at the beginning where you were the first to give, yeah, the Macedonians have kind of been that part, that you can still give. Now, when they look at this part, I want you to hear something else about the kind of attitude that God wants us to have in terms of giving. It's... Actually, let me, let me go back. Let me read this quote first from Rod Mattoon. About completion. At this point, let me ask Have you completed what you have started? Whether it's an area of business, work, school, your marriage, promises to family or friends, or your promises to God. By the grace of God, try to finish what you have started. The life of a Christian can be described in one of four ways as a journey, as a battle, as a pilgrimage and as a race select your own metaphor but the necessity to finish is always the same for if life is a journey it must be completed if it's a battle it must be finished if it's a pilgrimage it must be concluded and if it's a race it must be won here's an example and you may have I remember seeing this back in 92 Derek Redmond a 26 year old Briton was favored to win the 400 meter race in the 1992 Barcelona Olympics halfway into a semi final heat a fiery pain seared through his right leg he crumbled to the track with a torn hamstring as the medical attendants were approaching Redmond fought to his feet it was animal instinct he would later say he set out hopping pushing away the coaches in a crazed attempt to finish the race when he reached the stretch, a big man pushed through the crowd. He was wearing a t-shirt that read, Have you hugged your child today? And a hat that challenged, Just do it. The man was Jim Redmond, Derek's father. You don't have to do this, he told his weeping son. Yes, I do, Derek declared. Well then, said Jim, we're going to finish this together. And they did. Derek rapped, Jim wrapped Derek's um, arm around his shoulder and helped him hobble to the finish line. Fighting off the security men, the son's head sometimes buried in his father's shoulder, they stayed in Derek's lane to the end. The crowd clapped, then stood, then cheered, and then wept as the father and son finished the race. What made the father do it? What made the father leave the stands to meet his son on the track? Was it the strength of his child? No, it was the pain of his child. His son was hurt and fighting to finish what he had started. So the father came to help him finish. Beloved, God does the same for the Christian. Our prayers may be awkward. Our attempts may be feeble sometimes. But the power of prayer is in the one who hears it, not the one who says it. However, our prayers, faith, trust, and obedience do make a difference. All you have to do is to be humble enough to turn your cares over to the Lord. Be surrendered to him and his will, and he will help you to finish what you've started for him. That's the heart of God. That's what Paul was trying to communicate about finishing. To realize in all things we're not alone there's a God who gives us the grace God gives us the grace to give God gives the grace to complete we do have to ask of it so God help me help me to finish what you want me to do and that means to surrender to do not just for our sakes for what we want but for his sake for his glory So let's move on. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 13 to 15. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by any equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack. But their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, written, he who gathered much had nothing left ever, and he who gathered little had nothing. No lack. So what is he saying here? He's basically saying, some of you have a lot, others don't have as much. We're called to, to share some. Now, this is not a means of communism. It's not like it's forced on you. It's not something outside. That's not what I was talking about. Because it needs to be done willingly. But it is a hard attitude that when you see somebody else in need, that you're helping. And if you have plenty and others lacking, and you see their lack and you don't address it, that shows where your heart is. And so he talked about he quoted from Exodus when he said, He who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. And it showed it in the Israelites that there was a heart to see, I was able to gather much, you have a need here. Let me help you out and so there's a heart attitude of blessing others of meeting the needs so that none is without we have the jerusalem christians had spiritual abundance they were able to give blessing about and encouraging those who went out to talk about jesus but they didn't have material abundance the corinthian church particularly because of where it was had material abundance but was lacking knowledge and the heart of god And so there is that reciprocation. And so the challenge for us is the same thing. You may meet somebody's physical need. They may meet a spiritual need, an emotional need, a fellowship need. But it's not about keeping tabs on it. It's not keeping account that much. It's a heart attitude that says it's all going to perish it all belongs to God. Hodge says, well, property is like manna. It will not bear hoarding you know this example of you know you don't see you know a wagon full of gold following a hearse nobody's buried with your wealth none of that lasts we want security and I'm just as guilty as everybody else about that wanting everything taken care of not having to worry and everything in on the news talks about your retirement about where things are and and again that whole view of the world is always about self how can you take care of yourself how can you make sure that you're okay the macedonian church gave out of their lack they weren't sure whether it would be okay and they still gave which is interesting because when you look at it from the united states perspective the people who tend to give the highest percentage are who the poor they give typically five percent they give out of their poverty they don't have very much when you look at what jesus esteemed he esteemed those who had the heart to give the woman with the two mites I've shared before that was when I heard that scripture when I was 12 years of age that spoke to me more about the faith than anything she gave out her poverty and going she had nothing and she gave everything of what she had she gave everything that she had that's all she had that's the heart that Jesus likes it's not about the it's not about the amount that you give it's about the sacrifice to be like Jesus what he did out of his poverty, it's about the sacrifice of giving, not the amount. You may give ten dollars; somebody else may give hundred dollars, but your ten dollars is much more because that's all you had. It's that heart attitude of giving sacrificially that shows that your eternity, that you love Jesus, and that you're trusting. I'm not saying be stupid. I'm not saying being foolhardy. I am saying. Have the attitude of Jesus. See what the need is to be generous. And if you give out your abundance and you think, oh, you're good, look, I got that covered. That's no great. And if you're doing it so you get a name and everybody thinks you're wonderful, then you're chasing after self. It's really selfish. Your right hand's not supposed to know what your left hand's doing. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 16 to 24 but thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. But we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. Not only that, but also was chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself. And to show your ready mind, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift ministered by us providing honorable things not only in the sight of the Lord but also in the sight of men. and we have sent with them our brother whom we have often proved diligent in many things now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you if anyone inquires about Titus he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you and if our brothers inquired about they are messengers of the church the glory of Christ therefore show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of your boasting and of our boasting on your behalf. So that's how he talks about. That's a pretty strong statement there. Okay. What is he saying? One of the challenges we have is in our churches is we don't trust. I've given to ministries and they've squandered it. There's, it's, you know, people have misused it and abused it. And so Paul, this is not new. This has been going on for some time. Paul is addressing that heart and that attitude. He's letting them know, number one, they're above reproach. Number two, it's because of what they do, the people they have and the accountability they have. Paul doesn't deal with that money. One of the things we don't do here is, you know, pastor really doesn't handle that. Somebody else does the counting and does that. We have the board go through the, um, go through the budget, and things have to be approved by things of the board. Paul is saying we are doing our best to be above reproach. We're setting people who are accountable. We're setting people who are faithful. And so the challenge for us is how do we determine that trust? Part of it is in the character. How do they deal with it? Is the integrity in all their financial behavior and what they do? Are they willing to take a personal hit? Do we see things that show that they have integrity? Josh McDowell, um, who wrote More Than a Carpenter and Evidence That Demands a Verdict, talked about a case, and I love the story because it really reflected to me. He said, he, um, this is the time when he used to get changed back from the bus driver. He went in and... Um, Dropped the um, money or gave it to the, the bus driver, and the bus driver gave him change. And the change, when he went walking back to his seat, the change was more than he should have got back. And so he's looking. So he then goes back to the bus driver and says, um, you, I think you gave me too much. And the bus driver goes, Yeah, I did. I wanted to know how you'd respond. So he was being tested at that time to see is he a man of integrity to give something up. You know, it seems easy. Oh, they gave us extra. That's great. Ah, it's their loss. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's saying, okay, I'm going to be above board. I'm going to be above board. That's a challenge for us. Like even in our taxes, we want to, okay, how do we, you know, skirt things and do things and all those things God sees. All those things reflect in our integrity. We're going to have to present that. You, you did this. And you think, well, I'm giving more to the church. You're still focused on self. Paul is saying, again, here, show them and before the church is the proof of your love and our boasting on behalf. So he's basically saying to them, I want you to act in ways in confidence, but also you can trust us. And that's a challenge for us because ultimately it comes when we have to be before the Lord. I've, I've given to organizations and they've acted in ways that it didn't appear to be integrity. And I had the chance to sue the organization or get money back in a class action suit. Um, I elected not to do it. Not to get involved. I no longer give to that organization. I learned. And what's changed is I'm not giving to big organizations much anymore. Uh, I don't believe in that. I believe in that relationship and giving to people that I know. So I would rather support somebody I know going on the mission field, somebody I have a relationship with that I can speak in integrity and give generously, and somebody else who gives a direct appeal. So like when we went to Ghana and giving to something like that, or if we go to India, I've had a relationship, and I'm hoping as we become more missional-minded, we'll have more chances through that report. And it's not going to be perfect. Will we make mistakes? Probably. Does that mean we should stop giving? Absolutely not. But we're trying to do things above board. And I'm imperfect. Pastors are imperfect. we all imperfect. But we're ultimately going to have to be before God and give an account of what we did with everything we did here. The challenge for all of us is not to just judge on ourselves and take, rest that control back. Well, I'm not sure. I can't trust them, so I don't need to participate in that or I'm not going to give that or until I can agree with that, I'll do that. And I've been to places where they give, you know, they, they, they give... Um, designated tides where they designate where they can go. And I think that's the part that's saying you want to control where that money goes instead of trusting in the Lord. The other part of giving is, you know, when we don't have that here as much in terms of a financial secretary, but if other churches will have financial secretary, they can tell when somebody's upset with pastor with the church. You know why? The first sign is their giving stops. They don't give anymore. They don't contribute. Does that reflect? That's your heart. And so, um, the thing we have to realize, when we're looking at giving, this is primarily focused on giving to the poor. It's still the principle of what we do in terms of the church. Um, We're not under Old Testament law of tithing. Tithing is a tenth. But Jesus did refer to that when you tithe in terms of that heart. But the issue is this. Then it was, you give 10% and you get to do what you want with the 90%. The new covenant under the New Testament is actually much tougher okay it says it all belongs to God none of it's really ours so everything that I spend even when I went to a restaurant with Josh today McAllister's is all God's I don't always think that I went there go, oh, okay yeah it's my credit card yeah it's mine I don't think okay this belongs to God should I spend this money sometimes they do try to do it more but boy do we ask that for every time we spend No. When I buy that pop, do I ask that? Oh, this belongs to God. Is that what he wants me to do? Do I need to? Yes. It all belongs to him. And then what does he want? If it all belongs to him, he's given me stewardship over it. We're called to be stewards. And so I have to ask him, but I also have to be generous. He doesn't want me to have the right attitude. Okay, I want to God here. No, that's not the attitude he wants of us. He wants like the Macedonians be begging to give. Please let me help. Let me be involved because we know we'll have a standing before the throne of God at the beam of seat and he'll go. What did you do with the gifts I gave you? I did everything asked me to, Jesus. Willfully, joyfully, happily because I remember what you did for me. And I trust not in my own security, not in my own thoughts, not in my own desires, ambitions and plans but trusting in you. So some points I want to talk about In terms of reviewing a few things here Um, I got this from Mike Angus Out of um, Wichita, Kansas He summarized that the grace of giving Is a gift from God Poverty does not prevent giving Human accounting judges generosity On the basis of the amount given Divine accounting judges on the basis of sacrifice he says, number three, generosity looks at giving as a privilege rather than an obligation. For generosity starts with the giving of oneself. Giving of oneself. So when you're giving even something else, it's praying. It's giving of yourself, not just throwing money at it and not care. And excellence in giving is important as excellent in other spiritual graces. Wow, I mean, barely touched about that. So it talks about he wants you to grow in the grace of giving. We talk about I want to grow in my knowledge, spiritual knowledge of God. I'm going to grow my skill of teaching. I'm going to grow in these other gifts. Grow in speaking in tongues, if that's the desire you have. But it also talks that this grace, we need to grow in giving. Grow in giving. Giving more. Giving freer. Giving earnestly. Giving generously. So I want to go through some principles we're going to go through nine principles today and the last five will be after next week's lesson principles number one outward circumstances and difficulties should not inhibit generosity and in giving the Macedonian churches are not giving out of their abundance Rather, they gave generously out of their poverty. They gave not because they had to give, but because they wanted to give. Their giving far exceeded their financial ability. They viewed this special offering as a privilege, not an obligation. Giving is viewed as Christian grace. Joy and generosity are twins; they accompany one another. Second principle: All financial giving should be preceded by self-giving. They first gave themselves to the Lord third principle believers should seek to excel in the grace of giving fourth worthy stewardship goals should be brought to completion finish what you began in spiritual things there is a value in completing what you start fifth generous giving gives evidence of the sincerity of one's love one's motivation for giving should always be love for the savior and not And, sorry, not for ourselves, but and for the saints. So the idea of giving is not a love of ourselves, but love for the Savior and for the saints. Sixth principle, there is a connecting link between the grace of God and the grace of giving. The grace of God becomes the supreme motivating factor in true Christian stewardship. Our giving should be rooted in his giving. Principle seven: A willingness to give is more important than the amount given. A willingness to give is more important than the amount given. Number eight: In the economy of God, the sufficiency of some ministers, the so in the economy of God, the sufficiency of some ministers to the deficiency of others. This is really important. The sufficiency of some ministers to the deficiency of others. In the body of Christ. Some of us are going to have certain strengths. And we're going to have weaknesses. I know I have certain physical weaknesses. If I need to get some things done. I'll need to depend on some of the guys who are stronger. I had that when I was. when We were digging the, the crawl space at the duplex. When you know. David Kale, Rob, Troy. Um, some others went and dug that. I couldn't do that as much. So. There's things that we have. Some of us have certain strengths in some ways. Some weakness in others. But spiritually, that's even more so. Some can teach. Others can serve better. Some have different things that God's given them. And what's the purpose? The idea is to help others based on the abundance that we have. And the last one I'm going to go through now is principle nine. The expenditure of God's money should be done judiciously. Number one, to honor the Lord. Number two, to do vital ministry. And number three, to avoid any type of criticism. Now, I'm not saying you need to be motivated by other people, what they think, but I think we have to be above board in what we do. And that's the principle that he's talking about. And that's what Paul's saying. We are trying to do everything completely above board. So. Um, we have a few minutes Um, we're going to go through chapter 9 the next week and it expands a little bit more on this and there's five more principles that we'll talk at that time then as well Um, and I'll give handouts of those um, 14 principles next week so you get to see them all and review them all if you're interested now we have a little bit of time let's let's pray and um, I want us to pray for ministry um, especially for missions um, when they talk about the poor Jerusalems I don't think I, I'm pr- I'm, my, I'll start and others can pray that we have a sense of spirit to those who are poor around the world especially poor believers um, financially poor they don't have the stuff that we have we, when, they, when you, people clutch to Bibles because that's all they have is one Bible which is what Brian shared last week when I have a dozen Bibles I have so much I keep extra ounce and give them away we have Bibles on our phone so let's pray Heavenly Father I just come to you Lord and um, I repent of my selfishness my small mindedness my self focus you want us to see the needs of others and we see those in front of us because we're very you know like children we just see what's in front of us and when it's out of our eyes it's out of our mind out of sight out of mind so, Father, we're asking you to give us spiritual eyes to see the needs of others, especially those around the world, to see those who are persecuted. We have this map on the back wall. Father, if we can get information from persecution.org and from the Persecuted Church, different organizations, Lord. But you know within our hearts that we need a stirring, a burden. Give us the the empathy, the pain of seeing the suffering of others, those who are going through the trial, Father. And give us ways to see how we can truly help them. There's a huge need, Father. We have lived in such abundance, Father. We keep thinking the money's for ourselves, for our security, but you know that the time is coming to a, to an end and we're still trying to build bigger barns. Taking care of ourselves. Got to make sure that I have my 401k. My retirement so I can be taken care of so I don't have to work and do things or my security and my insurances. But these people have nothing like that. They can't even conceive of having that. So we need your passion and heart. We need your insight. We need wisdom. And we need to act out of that grace and compassion as you direct us. Give us a heart like the Macedonian. Whose land was ravaged by the Romans, who took away everything. They had nothing. All their minerals were taken away. They had nothing there, and yet they gave. Seeing the needs of others, people who are poor see that those who are rich have this false. We have this this delusion that we think we can control our lives. Father, disabuse us of that. We have no guarantees of what tomorrow will bring. We don't know if we'll be here. We could be hit by a car. Who knows what could happen? Help us to hold faith in eternity, Lord. We have to get of our natural reasoning mind, and we need spiritualized, Lord. So I pray that you do that and change us. In your name.